Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 10 of The Revenge of Kang. We are still in the friendly NPCs section, and today we've got a page that addresses all three of the non-read members of the Fantastic Four. Sue Storm, the Invisible Girl, Ben Grimm, the Thing, and Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. Most of Sue's character sheet is on the previous page, which is fine, because I don't really have anything to say about her powers or her attributes. What I do think requires mention is the following from her background, which is on this page. Quote, At age 12, she met Reed Richards when he lived in her aunt's NYC boarding house. As an adult, she became an actress and had a few small television parts. Upon learning that Reed had moved to California, Sue followed, hoping to conquer Hollywood. Instead, she conquered Reed's heart, and the two quickly became engaged. That was all before the rocket ship, which happened when Sue was like 19 to early 20s. This is not an anime-style case of Sue Storm and Reed Richards being childhood buddies. From Reed's background on the previous page, quote, While at Columbia, which is the school where he was a grad student, while at Columbia, he became friends with his landlady's niece, 12-year-old Sue Storm. So you put these two together, and what you're going to find is that Reed Richards, already a grad student, while attending grad school, befriends 12-year-old Sue Storm. This was when Reed was staying at a boarding house, presumably before he inherited $2 billion. Then Reed moved to California, and Sue also moved to California, following him, Then, and we don't know in which order, he started building the rocket, and the two of them got engaged. Then, when Sue was about, let's say, 19 to 22, Reed took her along on the rocket ship ride. So what we have here is is kind of an uncomfortable, like, seven to nine year period between Sue Storm as a 12-year-old girl just awakening to the way that white temples make her feel, to 19 to 22-year-old Sue Storm engaged to Reed Richards, becoming the Invisible Girl during which time they are pursuing an active friendship, and she actually moves from New York to California to follow him. How and why this has been allowed to remain in Marvel continuity, I really don't know. I imagine that by this point, they've they've managed to like sliding time scale it away. But in this book, where we're sticking with pretty much the original timeline, and all this stuff is explicitly happening in the 60s, it's pretty uncomfortable. Although I have to say, I think the most likely answer to this is that Reed being Reed, He probably thought of 12-year-old Sue Storm as a nice 12-year-old girl and maybe didn't really, like, understand the social norms or what this relationship looked like from the perspective of the 12-year-old girl and maybe didn't uh, notice the uncomfortable tenor of the relationship until she was already an 18-year-old actress putting the moves on him, at which point I imagine he was like, well, (laughs) this this has been fucked up until now, I I have just discovered. The question is, do, do I responsibly manage my, my feelings and relationship boundaries and try to add some, some much-needed distance in what I now recognize as an inappropriately close relationship? Or do I be Reed Richards and, because she's, she's pretty and giving me sexy touches, start to feel like it's only logical for us to marry right away? It's, it's super creepy, and I'm a Reed Richards apologist. You know, I like the version of his character that is a a good guy with flaws as opposed to the real, real creep that Reed Richards is sometimes portrayed as. But this, 
You just want to sweep this out of continuity. It's enough for her to just just to be a little young compared to him. I think that part's good because it also explains what happens later with Namor the Submariner because Reed and Sue are initially engaged. Then after the rocket ship thing, they break off the engagement and then later they get engaged again and of course married. But in the intervening time, uh, Namor the Submariner shows up and then when he meets the Fantastic Four, he's very enamored of Sue. And on the one hand, you know, Sue is, recognizes that he's a supervillain and she's a superhero and that's kind of a conflict of interest. And also she's she's engaged, but at the same time, she's, she was very young when she got engaged. And so all of a sudden, now she's a uh, celebrity and a superhero. And here comes Namor. And she's like, man, like, I, I didn't even know they made fish men. What is this shit? Like, I didn't have I didn't have all the information. Maybe I better pump the brakes on the fantastic car of my heart and just we'll just wait and see how this works out. And she does. She puts off Reed and she's kind of caught between the two for a little while. And then eventually, finally, she decides on Reed and, you know, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Namor the Submariner is a fucking disaster. And if she had gotten together with him, her life would be a, a radioactive submarine crash. You know, he's extremely egotistical and aggressive and melodramatic, but also the ruler of his people. And he goes around in those little shorts. I don't know. I guess we're in no position to question Sue's ultimate decision. I think in real life, most of us have to at some point tell Namor to stop calling, but Perhaps because of that, in fiction, you want him to make a big hot mistake. Speaking of big hot mistakes, let's talk about the powers assigned to Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, on this page, because this is going to be the dumbest thing. Uh, the other, the thing about Reed and Sue, their ages—that's real creepy, and I felt like I had to point it out. And I maybe wouldn't have even talked about it if my read on it were not that Reed was oblivious. But it's not dumbest thing material. Back over here on the other side of the page, on the right-hand side, we have the write-up for Johnny Storm, and you may think that you would be able to guess what Human Torch's powers would look like since we've already talked about another Human Torch's powers on the podcast, Jim Hammond, the original Human Torch, back in all this in World War II. But you would be wrong. The author took this opportunity to boldly broaden the scope of what fire is capable of. Quote, The Human Torch can generate amazing intensity flames and has established the following power stunts. Amazing damage fireballs with a range of three areas. Okay. Quote, Skywriting to create flaming images which last four turns. Then there's a big long description of the Nova Blast where there's like a big huge explosion and Johnny loses his powers for a while. We don't need to go into that. And then we have, quote, energy sheath, fire. Johnny can shroud himself in amazing intensity flame, which gives him unearthly protection from physical and energy attacks, but offers no protection from cold, wind, or water-based attacks. If that's the case, then the people of Earth had better get some goddamn fire hoses ready because otherwise Human Torch is going to be unstoppable. Unearthly protection from physical attacks because you're on fire? Did you know that if Thor punches Human Torch, he can't feel it because he's on fire? Did you know that despite the fact that Johnny Storm has the body of a normal young man with a normal young man's neck, if you drop an anvil directly on the top of his head, it won't hurt him because he's on fire? Bullets, knives, lead pipes, doesn't matter. It's an, And mind you, it's not that Johnny Storm is, is made of fire. He's not. Quote, Johnny can shroud himself in amazing intensity flame. He's just surrounded by fire. He's just on fire. And there's a sense in which Johnny's power is the ability to create fire and fully surround himself with fire and not be hurt by being on fire. There's no theoretical reason why if you had a source of fire and you were thoroughly soaked in something that would allow you to thoroughly catch on fire, that you could not emulate this energy sheath power, if only for a brief time, by simply setting yourself on fire. It's the same thing they would need to be amazing intensity flames. So they need to be very hot, very strong. But in terms of the physics, there's no difference between the Hulk punching Human Torch in the jaw and Human Torch no-selling it 
because he's on fire than you being on fire and Hulk punching you in the mouth and you being like, not now, Hulk, I'm busy. I'm busy being on fire. It's absorbing a lot of my attention. It's an unfortunate mishap, although in a sense, timely, because otherwise you would have killed me just now. But since I happen to be on fire, I'm okay. This is not borne out in the comics, by the way. It's not like Human Torch was absorbing all this punishment. I mean, Human Torch is known to melt bullets before they get to him, things like that. But if anything, he was too fragile in early comics, like in his old Strange Tales comic or in early Fantastic Four. He was forever getting, like, attacked by goons with asbestos baseball bats and getting beaten down. Or, like, he would fly around in circles for 15 minutes looking for somebody and then have to land and be all out of breath. And, like, oh, I ran out of fire. It's going to be a while. Sorry, I'm just a rotten teenager again. I need a sandwich. Or, like, he'd be fighting the Hulk and the Hulk would, like, clap his hands. And Human Torch would make this, like, tableau of agony in the air. So he'd be like, oh, the wind extinguishing my flame. This is supposed to be specifically the Johnny Storm of the 1960s. This is not him. This this guy who is going toe-to-toe with Hercules because being on fire protects him from the blows of the god of strength. I don't know who the fuck this guy is, but it's not 1960s Human Torch. 1960s Human Torch is the one that, if he's fighting a supervillain, has to be real careful that like a truck doesn't go by, lest the wind in its wake put his ass out like a cigarette. Not only does Human Torch get the honor of being the dumbest thing on today's page, but his background extends just far enough onto tomorrow's page to feature in next episode when we discuss the three faces of bad rewrites on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics, whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.